Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. The verses may be found on pages 803 and 804 in your pew Bible. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and left him and went away. Well, I have an ambitious sermon goal today. I hope to challenge your politics. I know, I know, but hear me out. First of all, I know that uh, there, I anticipated two likely responses to that uh, announcement. And the first being, <laughs> yeah, I bet, try me. Uh, others have tried and, well, good luck. This is my appeal to group number one. If, I mean, you're going to be here anyway for the next 20 minutes. Give me 20 minutes to make my case, all right? Just hang with me. If I don't make my case, all right, so be it. But if, if you'll just give me a shot. The second response I anticipated was, oh my God, Doc, have you lost your mind? <laughs> What are you thinking? Do not, do not go behind that door. You know better. You are smarter than that. Please don't do it, Doc. Don't do it. There's all kind of danger behind that door. Do not touch that rail. Well, my response to group number two is this. First, I know it is dangerous, and so pray accordingly. Uh, We are in dangerous territory for sure. But here's the thing, the gospel is dangerously political. I hear when you say, just preach Jesus and stay out of politics. But the problem is, Jesus wouldn't stay out of politics. So it's hard to preach Jesus over and over and over and not go there. 
I mean, Jesus did not just stay up in Galilee and teach his little band of fishermen and locals. He made for Jerusalem, where the power is. He got in all kinds of trouble with the power structures. Causing political unrest is what got him put on the cross. The gospel is political. It is not partisan. The challenge is for me to not take any of the teeth out of Jesus' challenge to political power while also not stepping into a pile of partisanship. I have no respect at all for the American preachers who have tried to politicize God or co-opt the pulpit to advance partisan agendas. But the gospel is political. Most of you know that most of the time I preach one of the four selections from the lectionary. It's a common practice among mainline churches. There is a schedule of readings, four readings for each Sunday. And probably 70% of the time I do that. I choose one of the lectionary readings. And it's a good discipline because it keeps me uh, not just staying with the comfortable easy ones like today. Uh, And it keeps me from not just preaching my favorites over and over and over. So today I am preaching from the lectionary. I did not go looking for this one. But it couldn't be more timely, right? I mean, we're in the early innings of a long political season. So maybe it is exactly the right time for us to be talking about politics. Several news outlets have said that this year's presidential campaign could be the most expensive in history. Election advertisement spending is expected to top $10 billion. That would be a billion more than the last presidential campaign. Aren't you excited? A 10% increase in the number of ads that are going to be coming at us through the next 12 months. Did you think there could be a 10% increase in the number of ads coming? Yes, they will be interrupting our regularly scheduled broadcasting. And yes, it will be ugly. You already know that. Because most of those ads will be targeted to incite your outrage. Moderately concerned people do not stand in long lines to vote. Outraged people do that. So it is important that these ads be designed to get your blood boiling. And what will be the result of spending $10 billion to provoke outrage all over the country? It will divide us, and you know that it will. And if we're not careful church, it could leak in here and divide us too, but we're not going to let that happen. We have this beautiful diversity of Democrats and Republicans and others slung all over this room, and it's not going to get to us, but that's a sermon for another day. Naturally, people are drawn to news sources that support their leanings. I found a Gallup polling, uh, a study from the Gallup organization 
that I found that I thought was really interesting. It said that while Americans acknowledge some bias in their favored source of media, this is most Americans, will acknowledge some bias in their source, their really great concern is about the bias that is in other people's news. So your news is terribly biased, but mine is just a little partial. <laughs> the most frightening part of this study is that 10% of the people polled thought their news outlet had no bias at all. So follow me here. $10 billion will be spent by biased people targeted through biased channels to fuel our outrage. And much of the strategy there, of course, is to vilify the other candidate or party so that nothing they stand for can have one ounce of nobility in it. In our current divided climate, you are called on to choose. You are either one of them or you are one of us. You are either one of us or you are one of those people who challenge every decent thing we hold dear. And it can't be any other way. Well, interestingly, our text for today has that same kind of either or us, them, politically challenged stuff embedded in this story. The story is a tale of a clever trick, a clever trap with both parties in attendance. The Pharisees, the, the Jewish leaders, sent a group to confront Jesus. But they sent along some Herodians too. Some non-Jewish representatives of Rome are in this group also. They get to Jesus to confront Jesus, and it starts with, uh, with the, the Jewish group really buttering him up. I mean, it's, it's really some good sweet talk. Teacher, we know that you are sincere. And teach the way of God in accordance with truth. And show partiality to no one. You don't regard... Uh, you, you show deference to no one. You do not regard people with partiality. And then here comes the hook. This is the hook they're trying to set, the trap. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And remember, they're in this gaggle are Herodians and Jews, Democrats and Republicans. Both parties are there. Which which side are you going with, Jesus, us, or them? If Jesus says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to support the Roman occupation, then the Herodians in the circle would move in on him, make charges that this man is a dangerous political agitator. This guy's a threat to the Roman government. But if Jesus suggests that the controlled Jews honor the Roman taxation. And by the way, the, the Roman coin had Caesar's image on it and stamped on the denarius was this inscription, Tiberius Caesar, 
Augustus, son of divine Augustus. If Jesus says, yeah, it's good. Go ahead, pay, pay the Roman tax. You should. Then the Jews in this group are going to brand him a traitor, a collaborator with the power structures of Rome, Herod and his army. He just said we should support Roman occupation and oppression, and not only that, we ought to pay for it. So do you see the trap? So in response, Jesus has a clever little trap of his own. He says, show me the coin used for the tax. And one of the Jewish guys reaches in and pulls out a coin. Now, did you catch that? It was one of the Jewish guys who had a coin with Caesar's image on it in his pocket. One of the guys who was trying to trick up Jesus about, remember? Okay. Jesus looks at it and says, well, whose head is this and whose title? They answered, Caesar's. And Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't go into the yes, no, us, them, Democrat, Republican, Jew, Herodian. Jesus says, give therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And let us be reminded from the book of Genesis that you bear the image of God. Caesar may get the nickel, but God gets you. You bear the image of God, and your allegiance is first to the kingdom and reign of God's love-infused vision. If we are working to align our gospel commitments to our political ideologies, we have it exactly backward. God's kingdom challenges our politics always. God's claim challenges our cultural self-interest, our economic selfishness, our clan's biases, our political partisanship. God's love-filled vision of a kingdom based on love will challenge the best of our party's platform and it will condemn the worst of it. Abraham Lincoln got it right. While too many are working on trying to shoehorn God's endorsement for their political side, Lincoln said that we should pray and worry earnestly whether we are on God's side. The reign of God's revealed glory is not Republican or Democrat. Now, our media outlets and friends and politics and culture are going to spend tons of energy this year and presumably $10 billion to convince us how right one side is and how evil the other is. But God's vision of the world challenges both parties, even as Jesus challenged both Jews and Romans not just this story, throughout. When Jesus first got, <coughs> pardon me, when Jesus first got to Jerusalem, one of the first things he did was to go to the temple, remember? 
the seat of Jewish political, economic, and religious power, and he slung the tables over, scattered the animals that were for sale, and it was his people. It was the Jews. But they were oppressing the poor, and Jesus wouldn't stand for it. He had a fit. He attacked the corruption that was within his own people group. And later he stood toe-to-toe with Pilate, a leader of the empire of Rome, and Jesus was eventually killed because he threatened the majority, the majority party with the power to do it. He challenged their oppressive regime, and they eliminated the threat. We stand with the one who challenged all of it and did not conform any of, to any of that if it did not first conform to the ways of God's love-inspired kingdom. Religious writer Jim Wallace says, the best public contribution of religion is precisely not to be ideologically predictable or a loyal partisan. To always raise the moral issues of human rights, for example, will challenge both left and right-wing governments that put power above principles. Religious action is rooted in a much deeper place than rights that place being the image of God in every human being. My friend Ed, my friend Ed, the pastor of a small First Baptist Church in North Carolina, and his church, like most First Baptist churches, was plenty diverse. Professionals and factory workers, liberals and conservatives, supporters and critics, Well, Ed is a self-described liberal, so he got all excited when he learned that his resume was going to a church out of state uh, that was also a self-described liberal congregation. He learned that he was one of three finalists for the pastoral position, and he made arrangements to drive to this church out of state to interview uh, with the committee. And on his way back from the interview, he decided to withdraw his name from consideration. I asked, I asked him, why? What, what is you, you seem so excited about being in a church that almost all of the people there mostly agreed with you, kind of a niche church. It said, I learned something about myself in this process. I want to pastor a church that has the courage to say, I'm willing to do the right thing, even if it's considered liberal. I really don't want to pastor a church that says, we're going to do the liberal thing, whether or not it's right. There's a higher appeal, a more golden standard than your party's political platform. Sometimes your political heroes say mean or untrue things. Guess what? That's wrong. (laughs) 
And why do people act like it's not wrong if that person happens to be on their side of the aisle? And regardless of what your news outlet tells you, there are some really good and noble people who sit on the other side of the aisle. And some of your party's platform aligns with your understanding of the gospel. Sometimes it does not. Do you adjust your understanding of the gospel to fit your politics? For instance, what if, what if a man through study and prayer and conversation, whatever, he comes to the conviction that he has a serious commitment about the sanctity of life? He is against abortion and against capital punishment and against weapons of mass destruction. It's a consistent pro-life posture after all. But what political party is going to take him in? And what party is not going to vilify him for not towing the line? We live inside systems of power and politics. And Jesus looks at the coin with Caesar's image on it and says, yeah, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Caesar's image is on the coin, but God's image is stamped on you. And your life and your thoughts and your language and your ethics and your politics belong to God and God alone. You and I have one primary political allegiance. It is to raise the flag of the Prince of Peace, to bow in the presence of the King of Kings, and all other political alliances are secondary. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, Come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.